Welcome to Professor Forever. I am the Professor Forever. Hello, 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 hello. Just wanted to play that for you or sing that for you. It was my warm up today and I thought it was interesting. And now we carry on. Um, Happy lead up to Samhain. If you know me, you know that I really enjoy Halloween. Uh, and always have. And I've always been into horror movies. When I was a kid, I used to love to stay up and watch Shock Theater. My sister took me to horror movies right after our father died by suicide. I have a cast about that. I seem to have fallen off a little bit in my 20s, teens and 20s, so busy um, being in love and working out and then working. But in the late 80s, in my late 20s, I did return home to my mother's home, and I was not very welcomed in my hometown, save for a few. Ginger girl, love you forever. And especially for that, you have never judged me and always made time for me. But anyway... I had some extra time on my hands, and so I dove back into horror movies. And I would go to, what was the go-to drugstore at the time? Hmm. Maybe it was a Walgreens. Were they around then in the late 80s? Maybe Rite Aid. Uh, but I would look in the cheap movie bin for VHS cassettes of horror movies, and I started up another collection that way. So I'm going through some weird Halloween stuff. Weird Halloween month stuff. My horoscope today said that it was a murky, boggy cloud. And I should be careful what I say. Hmm. Does that sound like me? Anyway, I usually take time to talk about all of the horror movies that I watch 
in the month of Samhain. My partner and I are already two behind, which is very sad, but we will make it up probably this weekend. And I did watch The North Man, which for some reason I thought was a horror movie, but really was a version of Hamlet set in Iceland with the Vikings. It was good, though. I forget what rating I gave that. But, so we have watched about 10 movies so far. And there's not too much in those 10 movies for me to talk about that none of them stick out. Uh, Maybe one. Not too much of note. Okay, Okay, I see that. I can hear my cat, which, can you hear her? And I also see that something has changed with my mic levels, which I'll have to have Andre come over and check out. I hope this comes across okay. Anyway, back to what I was saying. Um, Rob Zombie movies, first of all, House of a Thousand Corpses is probably, it is in my top 10 movies. Um, it always has unpredictable people which is something I appreciate. You know, he doesn't really veer into too much unpredictable territory as far as what's going to happen in a horror movie where the bad people or the bad thing kills the good people or the good thing. Although, yeah, he doesn't really have too many three-dimensional characters. Um, But his movies still scare me. And I watched 31, and it scared me. I don't know if it's the combination of the music and the flashing lights. Um, And, of course, just the flat-out psychopathic horror that one person can enact upon another. So I would give 31... A pretty high rating. I'll see what I gave it, but it was pretty scary. So now I think about horror movies as if they scare me. Um, you know what scares me more than death of any sort is torture. Um, long, drawn-out torture. I understand torture from a monster to a human because, of course, they would do that. We torture... Others all the time, right? Think of what we do to bugs. Um, Give them slow, torturous death and lye and lime and all kinds of pesticides. But uh, so I, and people get less punishment in our legal system for abuse than they do for murder, right? Murder can be quick. And you know how I feel about, you know, leaving this plane after watching a lot of Terrence McKenna, for one. I believe that we go to this other unbelievable uh, place. I guess it's a location. It could be something in another universe. It could be another dimension. I have said that I believe that it's, that death is actually dimensional. I feel this way because I talk to beings that 
some would call ghosts. And I think they are people that have passed, but I feel like they're just on the edge of a dimension. So, anyway, I did see a movie that had to do with torture that got to me. Nothing bad can happen, which is, again, a retelling, not of Hamlet this time, but the story of Job in the Bible. And as my friend, who is a Christian, pointed out, well, then that's a happy ending, right? Well, no, Minda, I'm sorry. This one had a twist. I forgot to point that out. There is no happy ending here. Although, there is sacrifice. And I feel a little differently about sacrifice than I used to. When my mother and I came back together when I was about in seventh or eighth grade, so we lived together but really weren't communicating between fourth grade and eighth grade. My mother was drinking a lot, and I was in my own world. We were both dealing with my father's suicide. But she started wanting me to go to church again. Maybe I was a little younger. but And I did. And then we would have these weekly, maybe, kind of sessions where we prayed together and she would read stories for me out of some book. And I remember her reading me the story about this missionary family that went to some um, South American continental place uh, where Christianity was not in maybe in the rainforest. But this missionary and his family, which included children, were captured by some tribe. Uh, they had brought the missionary family, somehow had gotten a bulldozer shipped to where they were to help um, this village build things, build more buildings. Maybe they were going to build a church. Can't remember. But the chief finally had enough of this talk of this Jesus and that God and told the missionary that he had to say it was all made up or they were going to be killed. And in fact, the bulldozer uh, then scraped away a hole into which the missionary and his family were standing above. And they said, you know, she said, so refuse your God or I'm going to kill you and your family and we're going to put you in this hole. And the missionary said, looked at his family and said, today we will dine at the right hand of God. So he sacrificed his family and would not say that he turned his back on the Christian God. And I was very upset by that story. Sacrifice is fine for yourself. And I think in the story, the kids were saying, please don't do this. Please don't do this. Dad, say you don't believe. Say you don't believe. And of course, he didn't do that. That's the story, right? And that's fine to do for yourself, but don't sacrifice other people. I 
felt that way when I heard the story first, and I still feel that way today. Anyway, my mind about sacrifice in general, I think, has changed. For example, I thought when I heard that story, well, why didn't the guy just say, sure, I refuse Jesus Christ, and then later say, I'm sorry, Jesus, I didn't mean that. I really love you. I worship you. You know, I had to say that to save my family. But I can kind of understand sacrifice for a cause more than I used to. And that's what happens in this movie. Nothing bad can happen. But very, very hard to watch. So just putting that out there. I think one of my problems with horror movies these days, it seems like the horror movies that I watch, with the exception of horror movies from A24, Ari Aster, Robert Eggers, and company, it always feels like the last part of the movie is thrown together. Probably a production problem. Probably a rewrite that doesn't fit well. I don't know. The last third of horror movies to me today seem rushed. Are you a horror movie fan? If you are, do you feel that way? And if you're not a horror movie fan and you're a drama movie fan or a comedy movie fan, is the same pattern? Do you see a pattern like that in the movies you watch? I'd love to know. Write on my Facebook page. Send me a message on theprofessorforever1 at gmail. So there was another story, too, about the son's gift. I think it was called the son's gift, and it was about some ship. It was a wooden ship, so I'm guessing it was probably before the 20th century. Um, but the ship was sinking with all the soldiers on it. And the captain of the ship, or all the men on the ship, uh, somebody went down underneath the ship, underneath the hull, and saw that there was a huge gaping hole. They had hit a rock or something. And so the whole ship was going to go down in deep seas. And so everybody was going to lose their life. So the captain asked if anybody would be willing to sacrifice their life to go down there and allow their body to be pulled up into this hole in the hull to plug it up enough so that they could make it to shore. And I bet you can tell, or maybe predict, not tell, I bet you could predict perhaps what happens since it's called the son's gift. The only person who volunteered was the captain's son, and he was young. And the captain allowed him to go and sacrifice his life. I haven't thought about that story in a while. I'll have to think on whether how I feel about that sacrifice. How do you feel about sacrifice? You know, we hate other um, peoples, earlier peoples, people we call primitive, because they engaged in human sacrifice. But don't we? We send people to war, and a lot of those people, may I say it, 
uh, may not be the best fighters, may not be the brightest bulbs. So aren't we sacrificing people? But also, it seems like to me, from the documentaries that I've seen and the history articles that I've read about those times, those people, some of those people were very, very happy to be chosen as the human sacrifice to their God? Or is it just all rhetoric and brainwashing that happens in terms of sacrifice? What do you think? I taught a class this past week. Oh, my God, it was so great to be in the classroom again with students. There was a student there who was just looking at me with a quizzical kind of look. And I said, do you have any questions? Do you have a question? Because I was in the middle of discussing the difference between performance poetry and slam. And he said, no, I'm just soaking up every single word you're saying. I mean, does it get much better than that? When someone says that to you, it means that you are inspiring them and that they think you're interesting and you have something to contribute. But before the class and after the class, I did suffer for deoxygenation. I didn't bring my oxygen with me. I was on a campus that requires a lot of walking I guess I left my oxygen in the car. And when I'm in that space, I don't feel anything, right? I'm in the zone. I used to have a poem where I talked about feeling this way. I can't find this poem. It began, the body not, the mind supreme. And it was all about how I would have been all right if I had just been a floating head and a clitoris. <laughs> I'm sure you'll love that image. It also reminds me of a great mad TV sketch. Alex Borstein, the great comedic voiceover actor now, on mad TV playing Rosie O'Donnell in the future. I remember she used to throw those, you know, squishy things out into the audience. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but if you do, it had her head in a jar and she was throwing those squishy things with her teeth. Pretty funny. So I'm feeling that way again because I am just a floating head when I am teaching, but as soon as it's over, the sweat pours down, my lungs seize up. Blah. Deoxygenation is happening to me. <sighs> I did take the oxygen tank on my walk, though. So I'm standing there enjoying the class. Then as soon as it's over, the terror of not 
getting enough oxygen hits me like the sucking eye of a storm. So here's how it went in a brief outline. I performed my Higgins funeral home, the Vindicator poem. Then they wrote, I discussed some things I know. They spoke. I gave them a poetic challenge. They wrote and spoke. Then we talked and exchanged names and locations. So I did make a few friends, which is great. Then the storm comes. I wrote an article, speaking of horror, I wrote an article this past week. Well, actually, it just got up this past week. I can't remember when I wrote it, but... um. I mean, it was last week, but it went up after I talked to you. So I wrote an article about the Netflix series Dahmer, Monster, the Jeffrey Dahmer story, in which I wove a lot of our similarities, Jeffrey Dahmer and I. Of course, I'm not a murderer, and so, but our backgrounds were a lot alike, and some abandonment issues, I think, were similar. It's interesting how with some minds, abandonment and other issues come together in a particular way. Anyways, it was called I Remember Dahmer, which was a title that Neil Pollock gave to it. He is a very talented writer, somebody I've known since the 90s. I actually have Neil performing a few pieces at the very first anniversary show of Yammer. Ah, to be back there again, 1997. So Neil runs a website called Book and Film Globe. Very interesting, high level of writing. He said, do you want to write an article on Dahmer? Since I had posted that I could say a lot about the series. So I did, and boy, that article flowed out of me like water. You know, I can remember being back in my office, which was like a closet, um, at the last location of Screen Magazine and having horrible problems coming up with ways to write. I did not experience that at all. It just flowed right out of me. I was asked for a rewrite, and it flowed right out of me quick. Quick and easy. And um, Neil said that the result was outstanding. So if you want to look that up, it's at Book and Film Globe. I remember Dahmer. It was a great experience. But it's not one that I feel will be oft repeated. I just don't like self-imposed deadlines anymore. Now, the deadline was his for this particular piece. But I mean me taking on the job at all was my self-imposed deadline, so. My nephew, Matt, remembers everything. He was there at that very first anniversary show of Yammer. He went around with the camera. He's the one that's filming. Um, So he remembered Neil. And when I told him about the article, he reminded me that I was Dahmer for one Halloween in the early 90s, and I forgot about that, even before my show. 
I was a floating table. Talk about a floating head. I was a floating head. I had a very sturdy cardboard round piece with my head going through it. There was a tablecloth over it that was long enough to hide my body and my feet. It was splattered with blood. My head was surrounded by a platter and then parsley at the neck part so you couldn't really see where my head was coming through the costume. I laid my head to the side. Of course, it was a corpse's head, so it was very white. Had blood coming out of the corner of my mouth. And then I had baby doll parts affixed to the rest of the table. And I told people I was Jeffrey Dahmer's lunch break. And then I, I won something at a Halloween costume party with that. And what I would do is I would play dead. And then if people got close enough to inspect the costume, I put my head up straight and I opened my eyes and went, ah, so it was pretty scary. Back to Halloween. So why am I changing? Am I moving out of horror movies? Is my taste changing in that way? Or is it really that I must always turn back to the 70s and 80s for the horror that I love? I think that I'm going to have to throw some in over the next week so that I can feel like I'm getting that real Halloween feeling. Am I changing in this regard? I used to read Fangoria. Great magazine. I used to memorize all these things about horror movies, and I don't so much anymore. Am I changing that much? Time will tell, scholars. Thank you for listening. Keep thinking. She's got no lessons planned for me Because she's not that fancy She's a professor forever Professor